Hey friends, producer Mackenzie here. Today for a special bonus episode of the Living Centered Podcast, we're giving you a glimpse of our newest online emotional wellness class, Right-Sizing the Wrongs. We all experience pain and adversity. There's no escaping it. During this episode, Carlos Martinez, one of Onsite's clinicians, speaks to some of the misconceptions many of us hold around labeling our adversity with the word trauma. And he'll illuminate some of the negative day-to-day experiences we may all be experiencing but never associating with trauma while offering an underrated but highly effective tool for managing the effects of trauma. We often give our past too much power by not properly acknowledging it. Our past doesn't have to hijack our present or determine our future. We believe that it's possible to get to the root source instead of just managing its symptoms. If you're interested in learning more about this brand new class from Onsite after this episode, head to onsiteworkshops.com slash classes and use the code podcast when you check out to get $20 off. A common misperception that people have around trauma is that they have it and I don't. That other people, because of what they've gone through, That's traumatic. But what I went through, and then fill in your scenario here, whatever story it is that we tell ourselves about us, that's not really traumatic. And I think in understanding this, that's a we do that for a really good reason, and that's to help keep ourselves safe from experiencing something that our systems couldn't take in and incorporate at the time. Trauma is not reserved for people whose jobs revolve around flashing lights or calling for cover fire. Trauma can be something as quiet as a cold shoulder and a turned away face. I wish that everyone knew that everyone has it to some way, shape or form. I wish that everyone knew that we were all dealing with it. And I wonder how much kinder we would be to each other if we took that into account. I wish that it were given its due in terms of addressing the systems that create it. So there's a lot of research on this topic called adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. And we borrow a lot from the work that was done in the mid-90s by Kaiser Permanente with the 17,500 respondents that, that took the survey and with Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, who has done some publishable studies and has a YouTube a TED-Ed video on it, and really understanding that there are these 10 things that, so these 17 and a half thousand people were asked in your home growing up, these 10, did any of these 10 things happen to you? So, and then based upon your rating on the scale that showed how many adverse childhood experiences you had, And as Dr. Burke Harris mentions in her video, like ACEs are really common. Most people have at least one ACE and on average people have about four ACEs. But the more you start going up on the scale of ACEs, the more detriment your body is going to feel and the more that's going to affect your relationships, not only with others, but with yourself. And so the correlation that we see in treatment is that When someone has a particularly high ACE uh, score, then they're going to have a cascade of effects affecting them personally, professionally, biologically. Uh, My personal ACE score is seven. 
And one of the ways it shows up, I tell people, is that it's really hard for me to breathe sometimes. And it was really um, a, a huge moment when I read that in Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. He said that survivors of trauma have about, a they have 50 times the rate of the general population of issues with asthma and breathing issues and COPD because trauma is stored in the lungs. And if you think about that first response in trauma where we go, <gasps> it's in the breath and it happens in the lungs. It's our most basic drive. And believe it or not, breathing has everything to do with this. So, and for me, it stands to reason if Vandercook says that trauma survivors have 50 times the rate of issues with their lungs, well, then wouldn't it stand to reason that lung work and breathing work would be our way out of it? And so being intentional about our breath. There's some research coming out that, you know, we read a lot about how, and you may hear a lot about how meditation is amazing. You know, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the new superpower, what you, the benefits you get from, from meditation. And that's true. However, with people who hate themselves, with people who have a lot of inborn self-loathing, meditation is not great. And it can tend to reinforce some things in, in the wild that we wouldn't necessarily want to show up if someone, if, if their reticular activation system is I'm horrible or I'm bad or, you know, a lot of the shame messages or things that I would look at my environment to show as a threat, then saying, okay, what I'd like you to do is sit in the space and calm your mind. Don't think about it. <laughs> Probably one of the worst things we could do is to sit in the space and think about nothing. And so trauma-informed meditation even. Uh, I, and so when, when I lead meditation in workshops at OnSite, I don't call it meditation. I call it breathing practice. And in the morning, I lead people through practicing breathing. And there's an awareness of what's happening right now is I'm breathing in for a count of four and I'm going to hold it, I'm going to breathe out for a count of eight and hold it. And I'm going to breathe in for a count of four and hold it and breathe out for a count of eight. And then I might alter my breathing a little bit. But the focus is not to clear your mind or to not think about anything. The focus is to notice when I breathe in, I can feel my shoulders rise and I can feel, oh, there it is. Yeah, always a little bit of tension between my shoulder blades. And yeah, there's just, so when I exhale and I let my upper chest down, I'm gonna, okay, there goes the tension from my shoulder blades. And then when I breathe in, oh, now I'm noticing, okay, there's tension right here. Okay, so when I exhale, I'm gonna let that go. And, and so then meditation or breathing practice becomes not 15 minutes of, or maybe even three minutes or one minute or five minutes, but it's not a, a time where, how long is this going to last? What am I going to do now? What if I, oh man, did I turn the stove off? I, I probably did. What did, um, oh man, I can't believe they said that. Whenever, it was, this is from Dr. Jo Joseph Goldstein from the 10% Happier Project. He said, when you notice yourself doing those things, 
he uses three words, simply begin again. And if we enter into a practice of breathing in, tension in shoulder blades, breathing out, I can't believe they, I can't believe I said that the other day. Simply begin again and breathe as I breathe. So a lot of the work, uh, a lot of the beginning stages of the work is letting myself breathe and breathe in such a way as to let my body know I am okay. I'm okay. And I don't have to run. I don't have to prepare to run. I've worked with people who sometimes, because they're so protected, and I get it, and they're so protected and say, well, I've tried everything. I've tried breathing. Breathing doesn't work. I guarantee you, if breathing doesn't work for you, you're not with us anymore. <laughs> That's the only way that breathing is not going to work for you. If you can breathe and focus on your breath and then decide to do some things differently with your breath, that is going to use uh, your volition, you know, your agency, and meld it with the autonomic nervous system and kind of tweak your polyvagal system. That's a whole other thing. But you start making decisions about what you do with your body. I have a parallel process in this. I'm talking about these things. And as I'm talking about them, I can hear the voice say, I'm like, come on, breathing <laughs> seriously or tapping. That, that's, that's what's going to heal like the 30 or 40 year old wound. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. Because it's that basic. It is elemental to our being. We can't go without breathing and we can't go without our brain communicating to our body. And whereas we might want to reason or talk our way out of it and we might be, it, it might feel especially threatening because I can talk my way out of a lot of stuff. I've learned of a lifetime of talking my way into or out of things, focusing on what I'm doing with my breath or what I'm doing with my hands or my body. Now that's rubber meets the road. That, that's brass tacks. That's okay. This is what's happening in me right now. I can talk about being calm while being in a frenzied state. But the ability to slow down and breathe, to connect, that's what takes practice. That's what takes leaning in and doing it, not just thinking about it. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this short teaser of Right-Sizing the Wrongs, How to Recognize, Reconcile, and Repair Our Trauma, we invite you to check out the full seven-part video series with Carlos at onsiteworkshops.com slash classes. And as a reminder, our podcast listeners can save $20 when you use the code PODCAST.